Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. We're turning to three texts this morning, one at a time, from Ephesians, 2 Corinthians, and Philippians. But before I get to our Scripture text, I would like to say a few words of thanks. The first is to all of you who have prayed for and supported the ministry of the Word here at Westminster. Over the years, many of you have mentioned to Patty and me how you are praying regularly for us. And I would just say that you may never know how deeply we have felt that and how much we thank the Lord for such a supportive and spiritually-minded congregation. I don't doubt that one of the reasons why our congregation has stayed true to the gospel and has not been plagued by controversy and disunity is because, in part, of the prayers of God's people. As I've had the privilege to serve among you as one of your pastors, I can honestly say that I have been greatly blessed. And what Hebrews 13, 17 says about those who are keeping watch over your souls, speaking of the leaders of the church, and then mentions, let them do this with joy and not groaning. That description certainly has been fulfilled here at Westminster. Thank you for truly making the ministry a joy by your spiritual mindedness. The second word of thanks is to our family. Patty and I started to seek the Lord about a call to ministry 50 years ago. I was thinking about that just this week, that it's next month that we started to date 50 years ago and started to consider and pray about this. And I am so very thankful for our parents, three of whom are still alive And they have given constant support for us in many ways, but I think especially during some very difficult, discouraging times, they've always been a blessing to us. And I also thank our children, who I can't ever remember complaining about being pastor's kids. Maybe they did that without me knowing. But they, along with their spouses, have always been so deeply supportive of the ministry But especially I am deeply thankful for Patty and her faithfulness and support. And she has been my wonderful partner in ministry and uh, God's good gift and blessing to me through all the ups and downs of these years. But above all, as you might expect, I would thank my Lord Jesus Christ. And I quote Paul in 1 Timothy 1 where he says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me for his service. And then Paul goes on and talks about his own sinfulness and his blasphemy and his persecuting the church and being least of all Christians, really. And the Bible so clearly teaches that every spiritual blessing flows from the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I remember years ago, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson speaking from this pulpit about how when a pastor preaches, if there is any spiritual uh, life and power and blessing, it is because Jesus Christ Himself is the one who truly preaches through 
the human instrument of a pastor. It is Jesus who brings life to His Word to all of our, our hearts and minds. And so I thank the Lord for His grace. So, so on that note, let us look to the Word of God. I want us to make three points, three themes that have been dear to me from three different texts. And let us start with the first. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, this first truth of salvation by grace through faith says there, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There it's summed up very well, salvation by grace through faith. We are forgiven. We are saved from hell. We are given eternal life with Christ and blessed forever with a living relationship to him. And all of this is by grace, all freely given by God through the work of Christ. And it is a salvation through the means of and entered into by faith, through faith. The means of a person placing his or her trust in Jesus and turning away from sin in repentance. It's not by work. It's not by religious ceremonies or religious rituals or good deeds. It's not by a human striving after God as if we could somehow make ourselves acceptable by human righteousness, but it's by resting and believing in Jesus to cleanse us and give us new life. Now, this is a familiar teaching to many of us, but to me, as a 19-year-old young man, this was a truth that came like a lightning bolt out of heaven in my life. It's like Charles Wesley in the hymn, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. Um, when a fellow soccer player on my college team shared the gospel truths with me, it was like a stunning revelation to me. I had been raised in the church and went through the required communicants class. We were always in church. We were always in Sunday school. Even if we went on vacation, we attended Sunday school on vacation to get a certificate to say we hadn't missed that week. But somehow, I had never understood this foundational teaching. And when I was in high school, I remember that when a friend who became what we might have called a Jesus freak in that day... Um, began talking to some of my friends about it, and uh, word got back to me about what he was doing. And I just remember thinking at the time, well, if Jeff comes to me, I'll tell him, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he rose from the dead. I go to church. I think I do everything okay. I think I'm going, that's going to be all I need to be okay with God. By the way, he never did talk to me in high school. But my first church ended up supporting him as a missionary eventually, so we, d we did talk eventually. What I did not understand at the time was that to believe in Jesus means more than just believing certain Bible facts. And when 
uh, this friend shared the gospel with me, I was struck by the idea that faith in Christ meant wholehearted resting in Christ, trusting in Him and in His cross to save me from my sin personally. And that included repentance, that I needed to give to Jesus Christ my life, to be lived in obedience to Him. He is my Lord. And not as a way to earn salvation, but obedience out of a devotion to Him, having been bought with a great price and freed from slavery to sin. In other words, faith in Christ had to be more than intellectual assent or agreement to religious doctrine. There had to be this element of personal commitment. My life was not his, but it was, it be, my, my life was not my own. It was his. And I don't have an exact date for when I was converted. I know that over that fall semester of my sophomore year, I must have prayed the sinner's prayer many times. And there was this radical reorientation of my whole life. Up until then, my only categories of sin were things that were scandalously, bla- scandalously bad, like being a murderer or being a thief or something like that, outward sins that were wrong. But now as I got involved in this Christian group and began thirsting for the Bible, I saw that sin was much more ingrained and much more insidious than I had ever imagined. But at the same time, Knowing my sin more, the knowledge that I was saved from all my sin, past, present, and future, by a Savior who loved me and dwelt in me by His Holy Spirit, what a wondrous new reality this was. And looking back all these years, I can say that I didn't know this hymn then, but the words of the hymn, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die, those words would have described that experience. So let me just pause here and bring this home to us. Do we realize that faith in Christ must be more than just mental assent? It must be more than being a member of a church or regularly attending church. Those are all blessings and good things, yes, but all that can be only limited to the outside of our hearts and lives. Salvation by grace through faith means coming to Christ with no claim to His mercy and no righteousness of our own and saying to Him, Lord, I so desperately need You to save me by the great work that Jesus Christ has done. I trust fully in You and I give You my life. I turn from my sin and from now on, as You give me grace, I will seek to walk with You. This brings me to our second point, God's grace in our weakness. This is the text from 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Let me read that to us. So to keep me from, let me back up and say, Paul in the verses before this describes how he's had great revelations from God, how he was caught up to the third heaven. And so he goes on to say, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the point. God's purpose for Paul's thorn was not to remove it, but to work in Paul's life and for God's glory in spite of it and somehow even through that thorn, whatever it was. We don't know what it was. In other words, for God's grace to be sufficient. Satan meant it for evil. God meant it for good. This passage has been my life verse because of this clear principle of God's grace in our weaknesses. Not long after I came to Christ, I found a desire growing in my heart to tell others about Christ and to help others in their Christian walk. And this desire showed up mostly on our campus and in our college fellowship group. And I believe that for me, this was a beginning of a strong sense of calling to ministry. I had this strong desire to read and study the Bible. I was majoring in math and minoring in physics, but I was able to begin taking courses in Hebrew and in Greek to learn the Bible languages. Yet in all of this, there was one major impediment to all my efforts. That is, I could barely talk. I could barely speak because of my stuttering. I certainly could not do public speaking. When I was in high school, there was a required public speaking class that we all had to take, and I remember preparing a three-minute speech the night before I had to give it in class in my room, and it was a three-minute speech, but in class, it was actually seven minutes long. It gives you an idea how much my stuttering affected me. And the, and the, the teacher was very gracious and kind, and the students were very kind that day. Students aren't always kind about those things. But... Um, it was not something, you would not look at me as a possible candidate for becoming a pastor and doing public speaking by any means. But now that I had come to Christ in college, I thought that the Lord would miraculously heal me of that. So I had friends pray for me. I had leaders lay hands on me and pray for me. I fasted and prayed at various times, thinking that the Lord would certainly heal me now, but all to no avail. And then I began to reason, and Patty and I began to pray about seminary, and well, certainly if I go to seminary, then the Lord will certainly heal me while I'm there. Or when I'm doing my pastor in, in, internship, I will be cured, but it was not to be. And even thinking back now all these years, it's still somewhat painful to think about attempts to preach that I made. I'll only call them attempts because they were pretty bad, and Patty knows what that was like. Some of you know me from 29 years ago when I came here, and many of you have commented on over the years how much my stuttering has become, and here I'm not stuttering much at all. Uh, but the congregation of my first church 43 years ago or so uh, heard me when it was much worse and I thank the Lord for how gracious they were and how gracious you were in hearing me trying to preach the Word when I would often stutter. And I have to say at this point how grateful I am for Patty's long-suffering support and encouragement because some of those Mondays were very discouraging when I had a really bad day. It's ironic we even talk nowadays. After all these years, when I'm finally retiring, I can speak. <laughs> There you go. 
God's ways are mysterious. But as I look back, I'm not sure that I would have been able in good conscience to advise my 25-year-old self to enter the ministry. I doubt that I would give that advice. I think about that. What would I say to myself? I'm not sure. But clearly God was at work in that strong desire and in some degree of fruit in my attempts to serve the people of God. But this is where this second truth comes in. God's answer to Paul in light of his thorn, whatever it was, was to say to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And that same truth applies to each one of us in our walk with Christ. Whatever calling God has for you, whatever situation, whatever problem, whatever suffering, even, and I would say especially when he doesn't take the problem away, and that has been lived out in my life. Romans 8.33 speaks about God's ways being inscrutable, or another translation says beyond tracing out. You can't trace the hand of God. So we should not be surprised that God has purpose to work through weak human vessels. That's all of us. In ways that we cannot fully understand. And in a fundamental way, this principle is the principle of the cross of Jesus Christ. Think of it. The Bible says Christ was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. In other words, from a human perspective, the cross was weak. It was despised. It was a shameful means of death. But unrealized and unseen by the world, the cross was the very power of God for our salvation. And that principle applies to preaching. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that uh, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, the God of the universe, the God who knows and understands and created all this, who holds together all things, who holds together the, the subatomic particles of this world and universe, the God who has called by His Word the universe into being, that God has chosen to use a message that is foolishness to the world, and He uses the humble and unlikely means of people weak people preaching the gospel. This is the principle, and what a blessed principle it is of God, God's power at work through weak human beings. If you know anything about the modern missionary movement, you see this principle there. Uh, Since the early 1800s, There have been hundreds and then thousands of missionaries sent out to serve, to love people around the world and to preach the gospel and make disciples. But if if you've read anything about this massive effort over the years, you know that it was faced with weaknesses and problems throughout, servants of Christ with very human weaknesses and sins and problems confronted with at times overwhelming obstacles the cause of Christ constantly experiencing suffering and setbacks, it's almost foolish to think that it would have had any noticeable effect except by the mighty power and grace of God. As one missionary author can write about this far-reaching effect, the very fact that this incredible worldwide expansion of the gospel was carried out by sinful human beings backed only by a minority of Christians back home, only enhances the glory that must be given to God alone. And for me, this truth 
of God's blessing, even through our own brokenness, has been a wonderful promise to stand on. And it's a truth that has often sustained us with consolation in the darkest days and in the hardest weeks of ministry. And I hope that you can also keep this truth in mind as you seek to walk with Christ. But that brings us to the final point, the goal of knowing Jesus Christ from Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes from the law, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here, verse 10, the key verse, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any possible means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is the supreme thing in life? Well, it's clear here, isn't it? It's knowing Jesus Christ. Yes, knowing Christ begins with being found in Christ, receiving God's gift of salvation. That was our first point. But then once we come to know Christ by faith and the rest of our lives, our great aim is to know Him better, to grow in the knowledge of God. Verse 8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss compared because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then Paul says he hasn't fully obtained this, so he presses on to know Christ better. He presses on. There's got to be this resolve in the Christian life to know Christ better. That's the goal I want to leave before you here. Knowing Christ is of surpassing worth. He is the, he is the pearl of great price, as the Gospels call it. He's the treasure hidden in the field Knowing Him is a joy and a delight beyond measure. And yes, it's true, in our daily lives, we don't often and regularly have the emotion of that. It's often just by faith that we delight in Him and treasure Him. But still, that is the truth of God. So how do we grow in this knowledge of Christ? Well, first of all, knowing Jesus is never a mystical experience that's divorced from the Word of God. It's not separated from the Word of God. It's always tied to Scripture and how Scripture shows us Jesus Christ. It reveals Christ. But that revelation must be brought to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, enlightening our hearts and our minds so that we see more deeply the beauty of Christ and the glory of Christ and the obedience of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the character of Christ, all revealing the character of God. Second Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, keep beholding Christ in the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus Christ from beginning to end, and He is the perfect revelation of God. But secondly, we must pray 
for God to open our hearts and minds to see the glory of Christ as we read the Bible, as we hear sermons preached, as we worship God. Pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten our hearts and minds, that we would trust Him more and long for Him more and delight in His sufficiency more. We want our knowledge of Christ to work into our hearts so that we, we see His love afresh daily and we respond with love to Him. And what we're really talking about here is communion with God, walking daily in communion with Jesus Christ to seek that daily communion with Him. So it's the Word of God, it's prayer and communion with God, and thirdly, knowing Jesus more, expect God to use suffering in your life to deepen your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Here's where we apply Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And up to that point, this verse is sounding pretty good, right? May know Him and the power of His resurrection, but it doesn't stop there. And may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. It's talking about God's work in suffering in our lives. This may sound morbid in some sense, but it's it's really so deeply hopeful and encouraging to all of us. It means that God never wastes an ounce of our suffering. It's linked to knowing Christ. It's linked to the power of His resurrection. Let me put it this way for you. Just take a moment and imagine your perfect life, okay? The life that the world holds out to us as what we all really need and what we all really deserve, okay? Everything going smoothly all the time in your perfect life. No stress, all success, all the money you could need, great health, the perfect job if you want a job, or you could be on vacation all the time too. And family and relationships are all going extremely well. You don't have a care in the world. You know, that's the perfect life, isn't it? And if you could snap your finger and have that life tomorrow for the rest of your life, do you really think you'd grow that much in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? No, we would be more like the Israelites who entered the abundance of the promised land, and whenever things went well, they were tempted to forget their God. Isn't it instructive that Paul in Philippians 3 links knowing Christ to the power of His resurrection and sharing Christ's sufferings. In other words, we shouldn't be surprised that one of God's chosen methods of teaching His children of Christ will be through this pathway of suffering, everyday ordinary suffering and also major suffering. When I think of a lifetime of pastoral ministry and studying the Bible and seeking God and what a blessing that is. It's a calling. It's also difficult. And you might think there would be a degree of complacency, you know, after so many decades in knowing more of Christ. And yes, that danger is always there. We all know it's there at our elbows every day. But as most of you have learned in your own experience, the more you know Christ, the more you long to know Him better. And in fact, through all eternity, we will never stop growing in knowing our God through Jesus Christ. 
John Owen, the British pastor and theologian of the 1600s, is considered one of the greatest of the Puritan writers and pastors. His final work before he died was the book Meditations on the Glory of Christ. In fact, he finished it as he was dying. Owen writes in his preface to that book, this revelation of Christ in the blessed gospel deserves the severest of our thoughts. I think he means by severest, he means the most serious, the most serious-minded thoughts of our thoughts. And he goes on, the best of our meditations and our utmost diligence in them. And then he reasons this way, for if our future blessedness shall consist in being where he is, that's heaven with Christ, if our future blessedness shall consist in being where he is and beholding his glory, what better preparation can there be for it than in a previous contemplation of that glory? In other words, on our time on earth, previously on earth, that we would have contemplated that glory that is made in the gospel. What a calling to be serious-minded about pursuing knowing Christ. In other words, the highest blessing of heaven is seeing Christ's glory. If that's the case, then what better way to prepare than meditating on that glory now? I hope you see this surpassing worth of pursuing knowing Jesus Christ. May you know Christ by being found in him by grace through faith, And in your weaknesses and suffering, may you trust in him and may you long to know him better until you see him face to face. To him be all the glory. Amen. Father, thank you for Jesus our Lord. Thank you for the Bible that you've given us, for the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the people of God, for the church exhorting and encouraging us for that fellowship of the saints. And Lord, thank you for your love, your unfailing love and kindness to us. In Jesus our Lord, we pray in his name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.